podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. We've got some interesting topics to debate tonight and we've got a full house in order to do so. My name's Ben Hocking alongside Harry Eid and Samuel Sage. Guys, how are you doing? We are now incredibly close to the start of um, to the start of cars being launched. Um, I'm pretty buzzing to finally have some cars back on the screens. Bring back Formula One. The wait has been ever so long. So, so long. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for your input, Harry. Um, <laughs> I feel like the first car launch is like the 1st of December in the F1 world. So we are nearly there. We're nearly through the long, hard, cold winter. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Jack Aitken. We're going to be looking at his move to Williams. Is it a good move for him? Um, we're going to be looking at who needs a big 2020 of course, there are a number of drivers on the grid who are under pressure before the season even starts. We're going to be looking at a few of those options. But first, we're going to kick off with Fernando Alonso. Um, perhaps, as Alonso would put it himself, karma in that Honda have apparently nixed his uh, decision to race in the Indy 500 uh, with Andretti. Um, there is just a rumour at this point. It isn't confirmed. Sam, start with you. Do you think that this is something of divine justice for Fernando Alonso after so many years of him tarnishing the name of Honda? Or do you think this is just Honda being a bit petty? I mean, regardless of your opinion on this, it's quite funny, isn't it? It is amusing that Honda have gone, nah, you were rude to us. You were like a naughty school child a couple of years ago. And now we, we've grown up. We're taller than you. So no. Um, obviously, I think it's quite petty. Uh if we're going to be totally honest, that Honda engine was terrible. It was by far the worst engine on the grid. Fernando Alonso is a two-time world champion. He has every right to complain about the one thing that's causing him the issue, and that was the power unit. Honda have come on leaps and bounds. They're making a great power unit. This is. It's nearly the same power as the current Ferrari Mercedes, which is brilliant. I can arguably say it's better than the Renault now. So I think they should have just been the bigger group of people and said, why not put one of the best drivers in the world in our much better car, redeem this story, make it a lot better, and let's win something together. What a great swan song that would be for the kind of Fernando Alonso Honda partnership to see them go and maybe win something like IndyCar. I would love to see it, uh, but I do think Honda being a little bit petty. I think Alonso had every right to be frustrated while he was at McLaren with that Honda engine. Um, I see why they've done it. A little jab back at one of the most powerful people in motorsport, but I really think they burnt a bridge there. I think Alonso is one man, Honda are a whole organisation, and they've ruined the relationship entirely. But you could say that Alonso did that a long time ago if you want to see it like that. But for me, I think Honda probably could have been the bigger people. And I, I think this boils down to something of that you would never expect to have seen about five years ago, that it's actually Honda that hold the power in this and they're preventing Alonso from, from doing something. Um so, Harry, obviously president of the Fernando Alonso fan club. So uh, I'm interested to know what your views are on this. Do you think that it's uh, it's Honda just being a bit petty? Uh, membership is free, by the way, guys. Um, I agree with Sam on this. Look, Alonso didn't go about, you know, the Honda problems perhaps in the best way. But... 
not to say, as Sam said, not to say that he was wrong about the Honda engine because it was terrible. Um, yeah, so from the Honda side, I do think it's a it's a bit a uh, bit petty. I, I don't like the word petty, but it is kind of petty, isn't it? It's a bit like well, you said a mean thing about me, so now you can't come and play with us. Um, yeah, like bigger picture here, lads. Like as Sam said, the the they've got a chance to renew renew their vows and end the Alonso Honda relationship on a positive note because you know when they went to Indy together in 2017 they he was you know in the in the mix to win the whole thing so um yeah it's if it's if it is a true story then it's a missed opportunity and it's just yeah it's like he said she said a bit just a bit bit school ground isn't it so um yeah it's sad to see i can understand it from honda you know pride and honor is a big thing in japan and he and he dissed them at suzuka but um yeah come on guys bigger picture here yeah, I have to say there's a part of me that just can't stop thinking that this is amusing. Um, I, just, I mean, it is funny. <laughs> there is something very funny about this. Um, I have to say, Fernando Alonso, he is an incredibly talented driver. I don't think anyone is going to go against that viewpoint. But the number one criticism that most people have of him, including myself, is that is the off-the-track shenanigans that he's got up to um, and that his he's struggled in terms of building relationships with those he's been around. And when stuff hasn't gone his way, he doesn't necessarily act in the most mature manner. Um, as we saw with Honda just a few years ago, um, it wasn't just him involved in that situation. It was Stoffel Van Dorn as well. Obviously they were in completely different parts of their career. Alonso, if he left the sport after 2016, he didn't he, it wouldn't have necessarily mattered for his legacy he had already achieved so much vandal was in the complete opposite situation of course but as a veteran driver it was down to alonso to to go through it and to to really not burn those bridges to keep everything afloat to be that veteran presence that he he was required to be and he wasn't uh, and it, now it's come back to cost him um ultimately yes Honda could have put him in that car, but Honda have been on this hard road ever since 2016, and they were rightfully criticised for their engine, but it went to the point where people were laughing at them, and memes were, I mean, the meme culture of 2016 around Honda completely destroyed their reputation, um, and it's taken them a long time to get back to that. You could argue it's only really this season, or say last season, where they have fully regain some of that reputation that was lost are they going to now threaten that are they going to put that into disrepute by saying okay we're going to let alonso in that car because ultimately half of the field are going to be running with honda power uh, honda engines if alonso retires because of an engine issue it does not matter if every other honda finish that race the only thing that people would talk about is Alonso retiring? And then suddenly all those years of hard work, to a degree, they're all for nothing. And suddenly people were making jokes about Honda again. They've got plenty of opportunities to win with other drivers in the Indy 500. Yes, Alonso did very well a couple of years ago, but there are plenty of other great drivers who race an IndyCar week in, week out. Honestly, I, I don't blame Honda for this. I really don't. Well, this is... And you're banned from the club. Yeah, I agree. Bang, I don't bang. want to be in your club. 
Everyone's beer my club. Ben Bocking Bang from Babando Bonso Bang Blub. Right, cool. oh. thank you, well, Sam. You were on my side then, but you've just ruined it. Get in the comments. Got a podcast sorted out. Who's uh, <laughs> whose side are you on on this one? Do you think that Alonso is wrong or are Honda being ridiculous? Um, the answer is Honda being ridiculous. So there you have it. So that's the situation. Uh, but of course, Alonso, not only have the talks been around his Indy 500 appearance this year, but there have been renewed talks about whether he will return to Formula One in 2021. Um, I mean, Harry, obviously you're going to say that you want to see this, but on a more realistic matter, do, do you think that it is, do you think there's potential for it? Um, oh, there's definitely potential for it, but I don't see him coming back unless he's in a car that's going to win him races, and that looks pretty damn unlikely. I don't know where he would go. I mean, the driving market is still fairly open at the top, but Leclerc and Verstappen are secured, but there's potentially seats in Mercedes, there's a seat, another seat at Red Bull, but it's, it's which top team would want him. Would he go back to Ferrari? I think that would probably be his best chance. But, yeah, realistically, I don't see it happening. But if it's 2021, they could, you know, he might take a punt on a, what is a now midfield team. But he's he's ended that relationship with McLaren. is now ended. He's no longer an, an ambassador. So those ties are no longer there. So um, as much as I would love to see it, I don't. Don't think it's. I'm skeptical that it's going to happen, but I would love to be surprised. And people said about his age, but you know, Schumacher came back when he was 39 or something like that. So I don't think that, that ma- mattered too much. And it's not like Alonso's been sat on the couch for the past couple of years. He's been, or the past year even. It's not knowing with that very long, has it? But um, yeah, he's been busy doing other other motorsports. So he'll still he'll still be he'll still be quick. I just don't know where he's going to, what seat he'd he would take so yeah i don't see it happening but i i would love to as the president of the fernando alonso fan club sure um and to that point about 39 he would be 39 if he uh were to return in 2021 of course kimi raikkonen is currently on the grid and he is older than that so definitely not unachievable um sam i mean this idea of alonso returning has kind of gone in and out of the news over the last couple of years do you think that it's realistic? Do you want to see it happen? Do I think it's realistic? No, I don't think it's realistic. I think if you were to pick up Fernando Alonso now, you might get one to two years out of things, which is, yeah, that's okay. But there's a lot of young talent coming through that is very good. We're in a very well-established uh, pool of talent at the moment. And a lot of it is yet to be explored. I think we're in a bit of a golden age for actual talented drivers. I think the level of talent across the whole field is so strong. Uh, to bring Fernando Alonso back and replace... I'm not sure where he would go. I physically can't think where he would fit into that makes absolute sense right now. Um, so ah, I don't see it happening at all. Do I want it to happen? If a whole new team appeared and Fernando Alonso was a driver, then yeah, sure. But do I want him taking someone else's seat? I don't think so. I like the grid. I like a lot of the youngsters coming up through F2 as well. And I want them to have a chance. Alonso's had plenty of time. He took his time. He's very successful. Go and do something else now, now Fernando. You're, you know, you're doing welling the Dakar. You gave a good shot of that. You're trying your hand at Indy. Obviously, you've done WEC. Go, go and carry on those ventures, my friend. Be successful elsewhere. I love doing F1, but your, your ship has sailed, sir. So I bid you adieu. 
And uh, I wish you all the best. We'll see you on other things. But I don't think I want backing F1. I would like to see Fernando Alonso back in Formula One, but it would have to be under certain conditions. Um, Basically, I don't want to see a return of 2016 Fernando Alonso because I I don't think it was really fun for anyone. Um, But I think a... Fernando Alonso, look what he did back in uh, back two years ago when he did Indy 500. The interest in the race and the, how that peaked just because of his involvement in it. Fernando Alonso competing, a motivated Fernando Alonso who is just focused on getting the absolute maximum out of his car and not worried about making jokes about his engine is brilliant for the sport and it's brilliant for form. It's just brilliant for uh, brilliant for motorsport in general. Um, so I would like to see it on, under those conditions. Of course, realism then kicks in. Is it realistic to think he will be in a position where he's competitive in 2021? I don't know. Ironically, perhaps the one place that would have made sense would be Red Bull in that 2019, they were able to see that the fact that they didn't have two drivers at an elite level cost them. If they had two Max Verstappens, they might well have beaten Ferrari in 2019. As it happens, they couldn't get the second driver right. So at that point, you think, okay, if Gasly's not the answer, maybe Albon won't be the answer. We know Kvyat's not the answer. Let's bring in someone external like Fernando Alonso. Oh, wait, we've got a Honda engine. That's not going to work. Other than the Honda engine, I think it would have made complete sense. So, um, yeah, that's not going to happen, obviously. Return to Ferrari, yeah, maybe that's his best chance in. Um, I don't know whether they'd want to threaten this whole continuation plan that they've got. Obviously, Vettel has held the mantelpiece for a few years. He's going to pass everything over to Charles Leclerc with his long-term deal. Do they want to throw a nuclear Alonso bomb into the middle of it and see what happens? I'm not convinced they do. So, yeah, I, I think realism will probably take its toll here. And I don't know if he'll be able to find the seat that he needs or the seat that he wants. I don't think he's going to be motivated enough to do what Kimi Raikkonen is doing. Kimi Raikkonen obviously took a massive step back this year in terms of car performance, but he got stuck in with the midfield fight and it was great to see. I can't see the same thing happening with Alonso though. Yeah, completely agree with you, Ben. I think that realistically, I don't think he'd want to be a development driver. And if Fernando was going to rejoin the sport... We don't want to see him in a possible championship winning car. We want to see him fight for the title against the likes of Hamilton again. And I don't think that's ever actually going to happen currently. So I guess it's time over for Alonso. Yeah. He did say it was a good opportunity. So we will. he's probably just keeping doors open. But we'll see how that develops. Moving on to a few drivers who need a big 2020. We did this at the beginning of 2019 as well. Established who might be under pressure if things don't go their way throughout the first half of the season. Uh, we've each selected someone who we think needs that big 2020. Sam, we'll kick off with you. Who have you gone for? Probably the most obvious choice on the grid, I think. Um, it could all be changed come uh, 2021 for Mercedes. I think that realistically, Hamilton is safe literally regardless of what he does. I think Hamilton could DNF every single race this season and he'd still be put in that seat in 2021 if he wanted it. On the other hand, Valtteri Bottas... He needs to be right up there in Hamilton. doesn't need to beat Hamilton to the title, but he needs to be winning two races less in the season. He needs to be one position behind him every race. He needs to be pushing him the whole way. And fair play, I can't even say this, like Nico Rosberg did the entire time they were in the Mercedes together. Rosberg was a much more competitive teammate than uh, Bottas has been to Hamilton. 
Hamilton's wiped the floor in pretty much every single season. The fact that Bottas went a whole season out getting a wing is worrying. And it wasn't too great come last season. Yes, it was a better season. It wasn't brilliant. He was still being pushed by the other cars who had a weaker uh, pairing of engine and chassis than Mercedes did. And that's worrying when Hamilton got eight wings not from pole, which is incredible. Now, the other threat, obviously, comes from the fact that Mercedes will be playing in their future. And they've got George Russell, who is a fantastic talent. And if he beats Latifi hand over fist again this season, like he did with Kubica last time... Um, then I think that realistically, Russell's the obvious choice to replace him. They've also signed on Lando Norris, of course, uh, who is now a McLaren Mercedes driver. He's showing great form as well. Norris has a fantastic season, maybe beats Sainz in a great turn of events. I'm really nervous for Bottas. If he doesn't pull out all the stops, I think that Bottas could be out of a top-seat drive very quickly and Mercedes will start their 2021 era with Hamilton on his last couple of seasons looking to take the all-time record with a youngster learning from Hamilton who doesn't have any of the pressure that Bottas has to immediately perform. And then I think they can grow their team from there and then maybe bring the other person in, either Russell or Norris, depending on who they go for, when Hamilton leaves. Uh, if Bottas struggles this season, I don't know where he goes. I don't know what links he has. Um, Maybe even a step back down to Williams or something like that. I, I just don't know what happens to Bottas if he struggles to perform in Mercedes once again. And we all love him. We all love Valtteri 2.0, the porridge man. But uh, I, I can't see him being good enough. He's not even a strong enough wingman at the moment to make sure that Mercedes are 100% comfortable. Yes, they've won all the titles so far, but it's not been as easy as it should have been for how good that car's been and how well Hamilton's performed. So for me... Bottas does need to step up. I think he's a massive 2020. Just a disclaimer, 2020 is the same size for everybody, though. Thank you for that disclaimer, Sam. Um, just to give uh, sort of an example here, what kind... If so Let's just put a situation out there. Hamilton wins the championship ahead of Bottas in second with two races to go. Is that enough for him? I think, realistically, Hamilton can only win the championship maybe by a maximum of 25 points. Okay. A maximum. I think he needs to be pushing Hamilton all the way, yeah, like maybe to the penultimate race, maybe even the last race. Even if it's Hamilton is 24 points ahead and all he needs is to essentially get one point to win the championship, fine. But at least it's gone down to the final race. There's a chance that Bottas could win. You can't be in the championship winning car year after year after year and simply not push your teammate all the way. You can't be beaten by that extent. So I think Bottas needs to take it all the way to Abu Dhabi, realistically, to show that he's deserving of being the number one driver when Hamilton, in time, retires. Okay, so moving on to you, Harry. Um, who have you selected for who you think needs a big 2020? Well, I'm still recovering from shock because Sam said something nice about Nico Rosberg for once. It, it, it can happen, yeah. folks. It can happen. Unbelievable. Uh, so my driver who needs a big, massive, although same size 2020 as everyone else, is Sebi Vett, Sebastian Vessel. Um, look, we, we've, we've spoken about Vettel a lot and how we performed in 2019 compared to Leclerc, but, and we've said it's, you know, wasn't as bad a year as some have made out, but even so, he still needs a big 2020 to to effectively keep keep his seat in the team, I think he's he's kind of fighting for a seat there because if Leclerc takes it to him as much as he did last year, then I think Vettel is in trouble. And Vettel needs to come out with a year 
I don't necessarily think he needs to win the championship. Well, I'm not saying I'm not ruling him out for winning the championship, but he needs at least more than one win out of the year, um, and he just needs to to get rid of these silly mistakes that he's occasionally been making uh, in races. So um, yeah, for Vettel, I, again, I'm not saying he needs to win the championship. I don't even think he needs to beat Leclerc. He just needs to be more consistent. Consistently fighting for wins and not, I don't know, not look as off the pace as he did at times in 2019. Because at some some races he was anonymous, not not at all. Some of them he was a classic Vettel, but not all the time, which is what we've grown accustomed to. So, um, yeah, Vettel is an important year for him because you know he's coming up to retirement age as well. So he might want to put some slippers on instead of racing boots in 2021, but. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big year for the four time champ. Love talking about people who are in their early to mid thirties and saying, "Oh, heading up to retirement age." It really does show what an industry F one is. Um, I am going to stay within the Ferrari family, but I'm going for Antonio Giovinazzi, um, and I won't pronounce his name like that ever again. I um he needs a big year though after what was basically his rookie year in 2019 i know he raced twice in 2017 i'm not counting that it was it was his full rookie year in 2019 he had two things that went his way and i think it was an okay year for him i don't think it was great i also don't think it was terrible he had two things that went his way first of all it was his rookie year so he gets more leeway um for example, Lando Norris didn't beat Carlos Sainz. That's absolutely okay. It's his first year. It's not what you're expecting him to do. He put in a good season. Nobody is nobody's out there saying Lando Norris doesn't deserve a seat. I'm not saying Giovinazzi had as good a season as Lando Norris, but him not beating Kimi Raikkonen isn't the end of the world in that opening season. So he gets more leeway. Second thing that went in his direction last year was the fact that it didn't really matter if he had that much of a bad season, because ultimately who's going to replace him? The reserve driver for Alfa Romeo last year was Marcus Ericsson, who of course was on a full-time IndyCar schedule. So it's not as if he was ever at risk of him replacing Giovinazzi. So realistically, who was going to step up if Giovinazzi was bad? You know, it was fine. Again, gave him a bit more leeway. That disappears in 2020. Because suddenly he's heading into his second year of Formula One. And he did improve at the end of 2019. He was definitely better in the second half of the year than the first half of the year. He just needs to continue on that upward trajectory. And he needs to at least compete with Kimi Raikkonen this year. At the end of last season, qualifying-wise, there really wasn't much between the two of them. And even in races, I don't think there was that much. If he can continue on that path and either finish very similar level of points or maybe even beating Kimi Raikkonen, that will be great from Giovinazzi's perspective. But of course, now there are a few young Ferrari drivers who are starting to make their mark. They're starting to put their foot down and and show what they can do. Uh, And it's only a matter of time before one of them is at least prime and ready in a position to pounce if Giovinazzi is not at the standard that they require him to be. Um, I think after Charles Leclerc uh, was promoted to Alfa Romeo and then to Ferrari, it left something of a bit, something of a gap in that Ferrari driver academy. 
but now you've got the likes of Mick Schumacher, who will be going into his second year of Formula 2. And we saw how he improved in his second year of European Formula 3. So if he goes on that same path, he might be in a position to get a Formula 1 seat next year. Uh, similarly, you've got his teammate, Robert Schwartzman, who many view as a future Formula One driver, including myself, and Marcus Armstrong, who's very much the same mould. Marcus Armstrong was uh, you know, pushing Robert Schwartzman to win that F3 championship last year. So in Formula Two this year, you've got three Ferrari driver academy, uh, Ferrari academy drivers. Giovinazzi, if he does not have a good season, is banking on all three of them not being ready for a seat in 2021. That's not a bet I would want to take if I was him. Sure, maybe two of them aren't quite ready at the end of this year, but you hedge your bets that at least one of them will. So he needs to up his game, continue what he was doing at the second half of last season, push it on even further, and we'll see what happens. But a big year for him. Very big year indeed. And of course, we've also got the likes of Kimi Räikkönen, who is possibly going to stay on even longer than we all expect. And if he keeps his seat, which I believe he probably can, it makes it even more difficult for the likes of Giovinazzi to stay in the sport. To clarify, Kimi is staying until he's 65. Yeah, he is making sure he's here to actual retirement age. <laughs> it's been a long shift. <laughs> retirement boy. It's gone for the uh, the uh, the Saturday overtime. Got to got to love Kimmy. Every, I mean, we were talking earlier about Alonso. Is he too old to come back to Formula One? Here's Kimmy, basically at the age of ninety, going around at such a pace. What a legend! Absolute G. Love you, Kimster. We, we do love the Kimster here at late breaking. Uh, moving on to Jack Aitken, some news surrounding him. He has left Renault um, in his role as a young driver, reserve driver, test driver, whatever he was at the end of his stint there. Um, he's left there and he's gone to Williams, where he will be the official reserve driver. He will take part in at least one FP1 session during the season, which is an opportunity he hasn't got before. So, uh, Sam, starting with you, he might have gone back down the grid somewhat to Williams from Renault, but do you think this is a good move for him? This really baffled me when he announced it. I was it, it took me a little a few a few minutes to get my head around it. I mean, it takes me a few minutes to get my head around a lot of things. I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. But uh it, it really is for a moment there, you think Renault. Midfield Renault, challenging for fourth place, hopefully Renault. Williams, Giga Kubitza, last place. Williams, very slow. Um, but I actually totally understand why he's done it. If it gets him a drive in Formula One, and theoretically Latifi doesn't perform, or moves his money somewhere else, or Russell goes to Mercedes, and there isn't another driver ready and waiting in the wings, then theoretically, Aitken gets a drive. And that was, that's what he wants, right? He wants a Formula One drive. I don't think he was going to get one in Renault. Now they've signed someone like Ocon, and Ricardo is there to stay for a while anyway. And they've got other young drivers coming through that Renault program now as well. I think Aiken was almost out of sorts there. He wasn't being given the favours that he needed by the Renault team. And Williams is very much a British brand. It's very much a heritage team. He's obviously got a bit of a link to them personally. And I think realistically for the growth of his career, this is a fantastic opportunity for him. If one of the drivers fails to perform in 2021, they go, we're still at the back of the grid, Jack, but take a seat, my friend, have a go. Well done him. It's a strategic move and it's worked for other drivers. So why can't it work for him? I'd love to see him in an F1 car. Whether I think he's actually really good enough to compete at the moment in, in the F1 
kind of spec that we've got at the moment. I'm not sure. But I still think it'd be really great to have him in a seat, at least for a season. Um, if Will Stevens got to have a go, then why doesn't Jack Aitken? Had to bring in Will Stevens. Had to do my man dirty. Come on. Um, so, Harry, do you agree that um, that Jack Aitken to Williams is a good move, moving away from Renault? Uh, I think it's it was a needed move, wasn't it? Uh, I, I don't know who... Uh, from the way that it was... Written and portrayed it, it was. It sounded like he left them rather than they got rid of him. Um, I think maybe he was just growing a bit stale as their. I don't know what his official role was. Was it reserve or a young driver? But he wasn't doing any FP1 sessions. Whereas this, he'll be able to get to do some FP1 sessions, and that in itself, with no F1 testing or well, very little F1 testing anymore, to to show his skills whilst the entire f1 paddock is watching is probably very under uh, an underrated opportunity so i think that's got to be a big big part of it a big part of his decision um yes it's to a team that's struggling but look i don't see williams staying there forever um i'm not saying they're gonna jump up to midfield but uh williams aren't gonna stay back of the grid forever so I think it's a it's a sensible opportunity, and it and it it may just open a few more doors. And then there's there's links to Mercedes there as well with you know with George Russell and like Sam says, if one of them moves elsewhere, then boom, he's, he could well be in a drive. I've got to say though, Williams's young reserve test <laughs> spare back of the sofa drivers. The list is huge. It's got Jack Aitken. It's got Jamie Chadwick. It's got uh. Roy, bloody hell. Roy, no, Roy, don't Roy. Don't Roy. It's another one there as well. I can't remember. Anyway, it's 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 enormous. I don't I don't know why they need quite so many people, but fine. If they've got the money and resources to, to keep them, then why not? But um, yeah, all in all, I think a sensible, needed career move for, for Mr. Aitken. Who I, who I like as a driver quite a lot, actually. He just needs to be a bit more consistent. I think that Williams are going for a strategy of if we can't beat you with two cars, maybe we can beat you with 13. Just steal, <laughs> steal all the drivers and then no one can beat them. I think that might actually be their strategy going forward. Um, I, I think this was a brilliant move from Jack Aitken, which does sound weird going from Renault to Williams, but ultimately... I don't think Jack Aitken had any chance whatsoever of getting in that Renault car. Um, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon are locked in now. Um, and even though he was sort of their reserve driver, I think in a position now where Renault needed someone to go into that seat, maybe Ricciardo or Ocon had to miss a race. I don't think it's Aitken who gets the nod. I, I think it would have been Guan Yu Zhou. Um, and it's not only him that's coming through. I think Christian Lundgaard, who will be competing in F2 this year, within one year or two, I think he will be he'll be knocking on the door too. So I think Jack Aitken was falling out of favour with Renault. Aitken doesn't have the youth of the few drivers that I just mentioned. Guan Yu Zhou's 20, Lundgaard's 18. Aitken's 24 now, so it's not as if he has uh, the time that a few other drivers around him have. And like you say, he, he had no, I don't think he had any chance at Renault. He has at least a small chance at Williams. Uh, either George Russell might move on at the end of 2020, or maybe Nicolas Latifi isn't up to the challenge and Jack Aitken can step in mid season. Either way, it gives him a better chance of, of reaching his ultimate goal of Formula One. 
Um, and uh, look, I personally don't think Aitken is is good enough for Formula One, which which might sound harsh. But like you, you, the roll call of names that Williams have that you listed off, he is in the best position of all of those guys, at least. Um, Jamie Chadwick isn't ready for Formula One. Dan Tictum's not ready for Formula One. Roy Nassani is not ready to drive a car, let alone Formula One. So <laughs> I, I, I think, um, yeah, Aitken is in a good position to take advantage of an opportunity that might come his way. There is still this thing about um, that extra team coming in. It's got a bit quiet recently, but... Um, I think that was in association with Campos, who he was with net last season. So who knows? Maybe he gets in some way through that unlikely scenario. But yeah, um, he's there to take advantage of anything that comes his way. Well, I think it's a fair assessment. I agree with you, Ben. I don't actually think that uh, that Aitken is, is good enough for F1. I really like Jack Aitken. Generally, as a person, he's bloody lovely. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think he's missed the boat a little bit. Unfortunately, he's maybe... I think he'd be very good in many other categories of motorsport, and I think he'll definitely get a shot somewhere, but unfortunately, I think the boat has sailed a little bit for him, and there are just too many fantastic young talents at the moment in and around the F1 um, paddock, so I just don't think he gets a shoe in. I forgot that Dan Tickton was the other bloody test driver, for God's sakes. So many. So many. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to put some respect on Dan Tickton's name here. You can't compare him to Roy Nassani. No, but his personality makes him worse. (laughs) So there you go. Slapped him down. (laughs) I mean, you don't win too many races on personality, but... He doesn't win anything. He, he wins more than Roy Nassani wins. Yeah, no, true, true, true. Yeah, not not much of an achievement, but no <laughs> I win more than Roy Nassani wins. <laughs> Harry, oh. last time you scored points, it was in 1996. <laughs> Same for Roy Nassani. <laughs> We're kidding, Goat Roy. We love you, really. Sports Social Podcast Network.